from us on mgoblue.com. So, a fun week ahead. Well, good extra points. Finally, some happiness out of this crew. Michigan hockey going well, and we'll hope to ride the wave this coming weekend. Shows Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, DSR 515, and Friday night for Game of the Week. For everyone in studio, I'm Jeremy saying so long and good night from Ann Arbor. Navarre gives to Perry. Perry through the middle. Touchdown, Michigan! And the Wolverines have won it in overtime. Michigan wins by a score of 27 to 24, and the team storms the field to mob Chris Perry. WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor. WCBN.org. Grabs on to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds her breath Ann Arbor as Navarre gets set. Places down. Kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington, and the Wolverines are victorious! radio is on. It's on 88.3 FM, WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor's 24-hour open-minded radio surprise pudding. Licensed to the regents of the University of Michigan, operated by students at the University of Michigan, uniquely maintained as a healthy alternative and a positive influence on the mental health of the Ann Arbor community. You are here. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and uh, Jim Dwyer, uh, I don't think he's going to be here tonight. He mentioned to me that he's got uh, tickets for the Red Wings game, and they're starting early tonight because they're on national television, a rematch of the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, from last year. So I bet he's in transit down to Joe Louis, uh, in which... Uh, the defending Stanley Cup champs are going to be playing our own Detroit Red Wings, who won the Stanley Cup two years ago. So, heck of a game, and uh, the Wings have been surging, but they got to keep winning because that Western Conference they're in is mighty tough. Real quick, congratulations to the Michigan Wolverines for getting into the NCAA. It's uh, they probably overachieved to do it, but uh, that's what sports is all about, and that's why college athletics is so exciting. Let's root for Cornell over Kentucky uh, this upcoming week because the Cornell 
campus has been uh, beleaguered with uh, suicides, but their college basketball team is mighty good. And these are uh, scholar athletes. They don't get in uh, due to basketball skill, and uh, they have higher, <laughs> probably the highest uh, rates of uh, graduation. I believe it's the first time an, I an Ivy League school has gotten to the Sweet 16 in uh, over 20 years. So that's uh, an accomplishment to the so-called Big Red. So uh, let's uh, hope Jim Bunning uh, can, uh, and Mitch McConnell, the two senators from Kentucky, can uh, uh, pay up some bets to the, uh, the senators from New York. Anyway, uh, no more sports talk tonight. Instead, we've obviously got... Uh, this big story about the, the health care bill being passed. I want to uh, emphasize that I don't think it's really a health care bill. It's really a health insurance reform bill. Um, it is not focused enough on health, but it is the first step forward, and it is interesting uh, how this came about. I think that the election of Scott Brown, ironically, uh, provided impetus for um, the actual process that we've watched over the last uh, several weeks uh, materialize. And this, of course, is how Congress works. It's important to remember that the Senate had passed a bill uh, shortly before Christmas, uh, before the special election, which allowed Scott Brown to win in Massachusetts. The Massachusetts health care issue was not, uh, contrary to... Uh, opponents of, of the bill, a referendum on the Democratic-slash-Obama health care bill. Uh, it was, uh, Massachusetts had special reasons for not caring about the health care issue. That's because they have a state program uh, which mandates insurance, similar to this bill, that had been uh, enacted uh, while Mitt Romney, who I think is the likely Republican nominee in 2012, opposing Obama in that election. We'll see what happens. Um, the, the Massachusetts voters would not have necessarily benefited or, uh, in fact, they might have even been hurt by the passage of the health bill. So uh, that was a special situation, a special election. This forced the House to pass the Senate bill as is. There's now some more negotiations underway under the so-called reconciliation uh, budgetary act that's been in, used, utilized something like uh, uh, 20 times over the last uh, several years, the so-called Byrd Amendment, named after Robert Byrd. And uh, presumably Barack Obama will sign this bill tomorrow um, in some form or another. Um, I think that unfortunately this uh, health care debate uh, has uh, featured all of the Worst aspects of America, propaganda, special interest groups have confused the public about what's in it, what's not in it. Even as somebody who uh, follows uh, uh, public affairs and public issues as extensively as myself, I'm still unclear about some of the details. So I would recommend to the public that they actually pay attention to some of the uh, public um let's put it this way, public radio stations and public television stations to understand, listen to the experts on this, forget about the, the politicians, because the politicians are going to be spinning this whole uh, bill for the remainder of this year uh, up through the, probably including the presidential election of 2012, but certainly in this election uh, uh, cycle 
with the midterms coming up. Uh, we discovered today that it's not the end of the world as we know it, <laughs> to quote the famous R.E.M. song. Um, this, of course, is one of the assertions of the uh, GOP. Uh, remember, not one member of the House of Representatives, the GOP members of the House of Representatives, voted for this bill. Uh, interestingly, the stock market was up today. Uh, Health care uh, insurance stocks were up substantially today. This is not communism. This is not a government takeover of health care. Uh, this is not uh, the end of Medicare. Uh, as for the politics, nobody knows how this is going to work out because I would be very wary of polls uh, in this uh, complicated realm because much of the American public has been misinformed uh, by the special interest groups, by the uh, media that has overly focused on the uh, Tea Party Nation, who I will in, henceforth called the Twits, the Prats, and the Nincompoops. Uh, we saw their ugly, uh, racist, homophobic um, nonsense, uh, you know, rear its ugly uh, head last night uh, in the uh, in the process. I don't believe that the process was unfair. This bill, uh, in, at the end of the day, included many Republican, quote, amendments and ideas. And uh, I don't think that the Healthcare bill uh, actually addresses many of the glaring weaknesses of the American health care system. This is a step forward. Uh, I thought of Barack Obama uh, in his uh, statement last night, I, which I turned on the television at that point because I heard the breaking news. Ironically, as I was listening to the BBC, that the bill had just passed, and I went downstairs, and sure enough, Barack Obama was on television making a statement. Uh, obviously, this is a success for the president and the Democratic Party because they were going to get tarred and feathered uh, with this health care debate regardless of uh, whether it went up or down. And it is their job, it is the job of the Democratic Party now to uh, defend what they've done and explain uh, as well as they can, and some congressmen have done a good job of explaining it on television. Uh, many have not, but I would particularly single out uh, Anthony Weiner of New York and uh, uh, Grayson of uh, Florida, I think, who I think have been two of the real leaders on this. Grayson, by the way, is a freshman uh, congressman who I think has been outstanding on this issue. And I also want to commend our own congressman, John Dingell. John Dingell, of course, is the longest-serving congressman uh, in American history, I believe. And it was his father uh, who fought uh, for this issue uh, long, long ago. And uh, without going into uh, the gory details of the history of the problems that America has had in uh, getting this sort of uh, legislation passed. I wanted to read from a book review that Robert Reich, the former uh, labor secretary who's currently a, a professor out at UCAL Berkeley in public uh, policy, who's mainly an economic uh, expert. He was uh, uh, President Clinton's secretary of labor, uh, re reviewed a book uh, recently uh, in the New York Times, and I wanted to read from this sort of interesting uh, historical summation of uh, 
what he wrote. He wrote, universal health care has bedeviled, eluded, or defeated every president for the last 75 years. FDR left it out of Social Security because he was afraid it would be too complicated and attract fierce resistance. Harry Truman fought like hell for it, but ultimately lost. Dwight Eisenhower reshaped the public debate over it. John Kennedy was passionate about it. Lyndon Johnson scored the first and last major victory on the road towards achieving it. Richard Nixon devised the essential elements of all future designs for it. Jimmy Carter tried in vain to re-engineer it. The first George Bush toyed with it. Bill Clinton lost it and never mentioned it again. George W. Bush expanded it significantly, but only for retirees. So uh, this uh, has been a very complicated, difficult political uh, landmine, so to speak, to deal with as a reform mechanism. And it's important to realize that the bill that was passed is is, uh, severely deficient, does not include a public option, is not single-payer, and is mainly a reform of the insurance system that we've got. Uh, It does expand coverage, but it is inadequate in the area of dealing with the growing costs of health care in the United States and the delivery of it uh, to our society. And I think that what we saw yesterday in the debate, I watched a little bit of it on television, the the actual uh, speeches on the congressional floor. This is the House of Representatives, the so-called People's House. Uh, in which the two political parties uh, fundamentally disagree on the fundamental philosophy of our society. Uh, I thought it was interesting, for instance, that James Clyburn, who's one of the Democratic leaders who's been active in the civil rights uh, movement throughout his career, uh, John Lewis, who, of course, was in the uh, real civil rights uh, movement in the South um, in in the late 50s and 60s, uh, gave some of the best uh, speeches and analysis of it. And uh, James Clyburn, in the press conference that followed the passage of the bill, pointed out that this illustrates the fundamental difference between the two parties. The Democrats believe, in essence, that the, this is the role of government and that this is a fundamental civil right, as uh, James Clyburn put it, and that this is the great, quote, civil right of the 21st century. And that from this point onward, what we're going to deal with are the tinkering of the mechanisms that uh, involve our very complicated labyrinthian, uh, uh, maybe it's even labyrinthic, uh, um, healthcare delivery system that we have. I've pointed out over the past several weeks, as it became obvious, that something would be uh, passed either up or down uh, before the Easter recess that the uh, book, The Healing of America, A Global Quest for Better, Cheaper, and Fairer Healthcare by T.R. Reed, a very fine book that, uh, by the way, I'm returning to the Ann Arbor Public Library tonight, so uh, if you get down there real quick, you can pick up uh, the copy that I'm turning in, has a very interesting analysis of the comparative uh, healthcare systems that we have around the world. And as he puts it quite well, America heretofore has had essentially an amalgam of the German, quote, Bismarckian system, the British national health care system, 
and the Canadian single-payer system, as well as a third-world system. And the third-world system involves uh, people without health insurance, which this bill does cover. The national health insurance system that the British uh, developed uh, in the post-war years after World War II uh, is essentially what we have under the form of uh, Medicare. Um, in other words, the the, the doctors um, are paid. Actually, the British system, to, to be honest with you, is more like the um, uh, veteran system. The doctors are hired by the government and paid for um, paid by the government. For instance, here in Ann Arbor, we have a VA hospital uh, on the north side of town. And this VA hospital serves as a regional hospital for veterans of foreign wars who live in northern Ohio, uh, Michigan, and probably even parts of northern Indiana. Um, Ann Arbor is a very fine uh, medical um, community because we have three big hospital systems here in this town. And there are certainly a lot of uh, healthcare uh, workers and providers here in Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor is sort of a paragon of uh, coverage and care. Uh, there are probably very few cities in America that have as much uh, hospital care per capita uh, with the varying quality. In fact, the University of Michigan certainly is one of the global leaders in uh, research and teaching and the development of the technology aspects that actually make the American system the envy of the world. And we should never be ashamed of the American system as, as we've developed it over the years. The problem with the American system has been that the health care costs are simply out of control and out of sync with our development as an, as an economy. Bismarck developed the German system. This is the employer system, and this is the system that America is essentially uh, going to go forward with at this time, with the exception, of course, of the veterans and the Medicare system, which is more of a single-payer system like the Canadian system. It's important to realize that in the British system, we'll talk about this uh, over the upcoming weeks, as one doctor put it, we cover everybody but not everything. And this is the area, this is the key phrase that I think Americans are going to have to come to, gra- uh, you know, are going to have to grapple with. America cannot cover everything for everybody. No system does that. The German system that's utilized by the Swiss, the French, the Japanese, uh, and uh, some of the Scandinavian countries is essentially a priv- uh, private insurance system in which private doctors are part of a pr- employer-based private system in which um, the you, the insurance companies are regulated by the government. Um, that's the way their systems work. They have significantly better health care outcomes for average people than America. In fact, the World Health Organization ranks America 37th in health care, uh, and we are in league with countries like Rwanda and Cuba and uh, Slovenia, not with the uh, best health care systems in the world in terms of life expectancy, cost containment, and uh, even technological development. France, ironically, is ranked number one, and there's been very little discussion of the French system, but the French system is basically the same as the British system. 
the area where the French system has improved over the German system, the Bismarckian system, is that uh, in France now, people, all French citizens have health care cards that contain on computer chips their health care, the details of their information, their blood type, the recent uh, history of uh, surgeries and uh, procedures that have been performed. And where the American system needs to change fundamentally is in this fee-for-service area in which doctors are paid more for performing more procedures. And we need to get away from this system. We need to go into a more preventative system. And frankly, I think that the now that we've dealt with the uh, health care insurance reform, we need to get actually into the nuts and bolts of health care. And I would recommend uh, reforming uh, the food stamp systems, uh, the uh, subsidy of agricultural products here in America. Um, we need to probably have uh, taxes, for instance, on soda beverages and junk food, and we need to get into the areas of diet. And uh, one of the interesting things about the T.R. Reed book that I liked was that he had a problem with his shoulder, and he went around the globe to compare the treatment and options that he had in various countries, Japan, France, uh, Germany, England, and even India, which has a third world country a third world system. And let's remember that in third world countries like uh, Kenya or Rwanda, where America actually compares in uh, healthcare, um, um, life expectancy sorts of uh, areas, people pay for, for, for um, doctoring, so to speak, with barter. They pay with what they've got. It's a it's an out-of-fee system, and you maybe you swap a few, in rural societies, maybe you swap a few go- goats for, uh, you know, treating your, uh, your sick child. And incidentally, this was the kind of system that America had uh, throughout most of our, our history. We didn't really have an employer-based health care system until after World War II. It's interesting that the Germans developed their health care system that were essentially emulating in, in uh, many ways uh, back in 1883. And just very quickly on the Canadian system, which, uh, of course, is our near uh, neighbor, and we hear a lot of criticisms of the Canadian system, but the Canadian system is based on egalitarianism. It's based on the single-payer system, and we have this system uh, in the form of Medicare. Doctors are reimbursed by the government, and Medicare recipients can go see whoever they want for whatever they whatever ails them, and the government basically pays the bill. That may be the system that we eventually go to. The Canadian system started out as a regional health care system in the uh, province of Saskatchewan, which, of course, is very similar to what we would call here uh, the Corn Belt uh, here in America. Saskatchewan is sort of the breadbasket of uh, Canada. They have a lot of farms, very rural and uh, they developed a subsidized health care system in Saskatchewan in the late 40s. And the regional governor of, uh, of that region, and I don't remember his name, I should have written it down, um, <clears throat> is actually, by Canadians, the most admired Canadian in their entire history. Because this regional system then became the national system that they developed in the early 60s, 
and we hear a lot of misinformation and disinformation about other countries' health care systems when, in fact, it's America that needs to reform its system and needs to uh, get into the 21st century, grow up, and uh, smell the coffee. I think that it's been very unfortunate, by the way, that the this uh, whole debate has been. Uh, I, I won't get into the twits, the prats, and the nincompoops, the the the, the nincompoops, the Tea Party Nation. Uh, they're just complete idiots. But I think it's been very unfortunate that the media has allowed them to dominate the debate. And I also think it's very unfortunate that um, Bart Stupak uh, from Michigan, who represents the uh, Upper Peninsula. And a good chunk of the lower peninsula, by the way. I think I, I heard somewhere where the size of his congressional district is about the size of Kansas, uh, which is uh, pretty scary. Uh, the, the abortion uh, debate has, has overtaken reality here. Abortion is health care. I am ardently pro-choice. I believe that we uh, need to always guarantee a woman's right to have an abortion. I think that it's a fundamental right of privacy. The Roe versus Wade ruling was ruled 7 to 2 uh, back in uh, 1973, and it was ironically mainly Republicans that Nixon had appointed that allowed Roe v. Wade to actually pass by that margin. The only two dissenters in Roe v. Wade were uh, William Rehnquist, who had been recently appointed to the Supreme Court by Richard Nixon, and Byron White, who was appointed by John F. Kennedy, uh, because he was a uh, practicing Catholic. It's very interesting that right now in the Supreme Court, we have six Catholics on the Supreme Court, one of them a converted Catholic. But uh, Roe versus Wade is um, has been mucked up in this debate, and I think it's very unfortunate. But I did want to point out this idea that, that Americans are swinging vastly to the uh, right on abortion is a bit of a myth. Um, in many rural areas, this is the case, and indeed there's been a very unfortunate development in uh, Utah that I'll talk about in an upcoming show regarding the criminalization of abortion that I think is a, a terrible uh, avenue to go. But it's interesting, in the 2008 elections, there were abortion uh, ballot measures in three big states. And I wanted to re repeat these results because I think it's very interesting. In California, they had a uh, ballot measure that required parental notification before a minor can get an abortion. That was defeated, 52 to 48. In Colorado, they had uh, an, uh, a, an amendment uh, sponsored by the Right to Life that defined human life as beginning at fertilization. That was defeated 73 to 27. And in South Dakota, they had a, uh, um, a case or a referendum, a ballot initiative that would ban abortions in certain cases. Uh, this was a uh, partial birth abortion sort of uh, ballot initiative. And this was defeated even in South Dakota 55 to 48. So America is still pro-choice. Do not believe these uh, idiots that, that are arguing that Americans want to restrict abortions. Uh, parental notification exists in some states, and indeed it's been struck down in some, in, in some states. The partial birth abortion uh, has been struck down in some cases in some states. Um, so don't be fooled by rhetoric about the abortion issue. Um, abortion is health care for women, 
And my problem with Bart Stupak at the end of the day was that he turned this uh, reform debate into a real um, sideshow about abortion. And in fact, it was ironic that he was uh, called a baby killer uh, while he delivered his speech on the on the floor last night by a Republican from Texas because he ended up voting for the uh, uh, the compromise uh, bill that was uh, negotiated and is basically the Senate version. As we're running out of time here, because uh, I think we have a couple of more uh, minutes, uh, as uh, Yazoo City Calling uh, prepares uh, itself uh, here for uh, another fine show down here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I wanted to uh, mention the passing of Charlie Gillett, um, a disc jockey and famous uh, BBC uh, musicologist um, who passed away this past week. Uh, it's ironic, I actually heard his last show, or the end of his last show, a couple of weeks ago, because uh, we're lucky here in, the, in uh, Ann Arbor with all the fine public uh, radio stations that we have, and some of them are continuing to fundraise. And by the way, I wanted to... Uh, Thank listeners for contributing during the fundraiser uh, this past uh, these past ten days. Um, pay up your pledges and go see the bash down at uh, the Blind Pig this coming Saturday. We have a bunch of CBN oriented bands putting on one of CBN's uh, music shows, so to speak. This is an in-house kind of music show down at the Blind Pig. You can pay your pledge in person. My understanding is and get in free. And I'm sure you can probably purchase uh, various uh, CBN paraphernalia uh, that you can go home with, like mixtapes, T-shirts, beer mugs, etc. Uh, pint glasses, I guess, is what it is this year. Anyway, Charlie Gillett passed away this past week. Uh, they said that he had a heart attack from a, an autoimmune disease that he had uh, suffered from. And it was amazing. I actually was listening to his uh, show just two weeks ago, and it was a world world music show. And he used to feature musicians from around the uh, Latin American, African, Balkan continent, sort of a hodgepodge, sort of a free-form world music show that was outstanding. And it was unfortunate. It was only on for half an hour. But he played a very important role he, because he was the first disc jockey in Britain to play Graham Parker, Elvis Costello, and Dire Straits. And uh, Elvis Costello has certainly proven to be one of the great musicians of our era. And um, he played a, quote, unreleased version of, Di of the Sultans of Swing for the first time in July 77. Uh, record executives, and I'm quoting from his obituary in the New York Times, called to express interests. And two months later, the band signed with uh, Phonogram Records and went on to global success. But uh, he was much more than this. He was a sort of an intellectual. He played Cajun music uh, for the British public, uh, introduced all sorts of uh, world music to uh, the BBC listening audience. And, of course, the BBC, um, I've listened to that a fine station, uh, the British uh, Broadcasting Network, for many, many years, first on uh, shortwave radio. I still have my shortwave radio. But now uh, we're lucky here in Ann Arbor to have the BBC 
on our sister station, or our big brother station, as I like to call them, WUOM, because they play the BBC late at night. And in fact, I was listening to the BBC last night when I heard that the uh, congressional bill had passed. Um, so quoting from the uh, obituary from Douglas Martin Gillett's Great achievement was shepherding the eclectic potpourri of musical strands emerging from Africa to Latin America to Eastern Europe to East Asia. He was one of a group of 15 or 20 record executives, journalists, and others 